And hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And guys, week two here in the new studio. And let me tell you, two big yes this week on TKS. We're not now, don't think this is going to be like some linear thing. It's like the next week's week three, we're going to have three and four and five. Because I'll be honest with you, by the time we get to week 24, I don't know how we're going to be able to fit 24 guests on the show here. But I digress. We have so much to talk about today. Later on, in just about an hour's time, we're going to have Zach Martin coming on from Cannons and Tomahawks podcast to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks, something we kind of wanted to wait on for this because we wanted someone from the Blackhawks side of things to talk about the situation with Brad Aldrich. But in just a moment here, we'll have our first guest talking about the Yotes, talking Coyotes coming up here, talking about what's going on in Glendale. Also, Women's Worlds action starting up this past weekend. We got Japan and Czech Republic, a big Group B match going on up in Calgary. It's on the TV here in the studio. The wife is out there watching TV as well. I look at the stream. We're not dropping any frames, which is always good news here in the new studio. Make sure everything looks good. So... With that, let's thank the awesome sponsors that we have here on 12 Ounce Sports. By the way, because you're watching on 12 Ounce Sports, that means you're watching us on Twitter, on Facebook, or Zingo TV, YouTube as well. Zingo TV, by the way, if you ever want to check it out, it's a cool thing. You can stream on your Roku, on your smart TV, and all that good stuff. Channel 761 on there. Use the promo code 12 Ounce. That's the number one, the number two, the letter O, and letter Z, or Z for you improper English users to sign up for free on Zingo TV. And, of course, we must thank the awesome people that get us here and make sure this show runs smoothly, for the most part, at least. MyBookie.ag down there in the corner, guys. Guys, guess what? Baseball is starting to get towards the postseason. WNBA is starting to get closer to the postseason. Big money can be won on those sort of events. And, oh, by the way, the NFL and college football is about to start up. Go on MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code 12OunceSports. Win and get paid on MyBookie.ag. And, as always, up in the corner... On my laptop, which you can't really see at this moment in time, my shirts are in the dresser. I wear them all the time. Second string leather company, hashtag crafted from the crease, guys. Collection number nine is out. The products are awesome. They are, I almost used the word fly there, but I just said it, so I did use the word fly. They are cool. I'm not going to use the three-letter word the kids use nowadays in terms of lighting a candle. Not going to say that, but all the awesome stuff there on secondstringleather.com. Check it out, hashtag crafted from the crease. So with that... We must bring on our first guest today. We've had him on a time or two before. We've had him on a bunch of times, actually, now I think about it, at least twice. He is an Arizona Coyotes reporter, at least for now, because we don't know what the future of this franchise holds. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, none other than Louis Pannone. Louis, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Tyler. How are you doing? Well, the coffee is a kicking. The hockey is on, even though it's August, which is, you know what? I know the tournament. I, you know, I don't know how much you've been watching the Women's World, Zara Lewis, but I can tell you, hockey in August, as weird as it is, it's kind of a blessing that the tournament got pushed back because when we talked with Dan Rice last week, we we're talking about how usually the tournament takes place in April when the playoffs are going on, so not many eyes. But now in August, I mean, it makes me feel a little bit cooler. It's about 75, it's about 85 actually now here in Michigan. I don't know how bad down there in Arizona, but it makes me feel a little bit cooler knowing that hockey's being played. Absolutely. You know, we kind of got used to having hockey, you know, last August with the playoffs and everything going on. So it's nice to uh, continue that. Yeah. Odd times for hockey is the epitome of the pandemic, which makes me just say, I'm glad, hope, hopefully, knock on wood, we get out of this soon. But I guess if there's any possible silver lining of this pandemic, it means we've had hockey year-round, which I guess I'm okay with. But first of all, Lewis, how have you been? We haven't talked to you in a while, man. How are things? 
doing great. You know, um, you said it's 85 degrees where you're at. It's about 105 out here. So, you know, we're just, just trying to stay indoors and, you know, yeah, if I'm not indoors, I'm in my car driving to uh, Oceanside to play some hockey out there. So well, that's yeah. always good. Some cool. That, cool. Isn't that, uh, that's still where the Sun Devils are at, right? Yeah, they currently play at Oceanside, uh, you know, Little Rink and, uh, and Tempe, but they'll get their own barn here. I think uh, next season they should have their own place built. So that's the best way to somehow segue into this conversation. The big news at the end of last week, Lewis, the city of Glendale pretty much giving the finger to the Coyotes saying that they're not going to allow them to renew their lease at the end of this coming season. Now, I, I for those that don't know, I don't think I've mentioned this before on the show. I probably have. On my ACT, which uh, for those in the Midwest was pretty much the, the Midwest version, the Michigan version of the SAT. They don't exist anymore, obviously, because Michigan's like, well, maybe we should buy in. Hey, by the way, United States, can you all go to metrics so we can get with everyone else? But that's neither here nor there. Um, but the thing is, is that you had to write an argumentative essay. And this would have been 20, March of 2012, my junior year of high school. And my argument was that the Ayers or the Phoenix Coyotes at that point should no longer be a franchise and they should move to Quebec City. Let's fast forward nine years later, Lewis, and we're having this conversation again. And, you know, it, to make matters, I don't want to say worse, because remember the one of the times we had you on, we were talking about how the fans were going there in Glendale at Gila Arena and people were showing up and the fan base there in Arizona is strong. And now here we are again questioning the legitimacy of a franchise in the South, at least the Southern West United States. Absolutely. Like you said, you know, we've, you know, been dealing with this for 10 years. You know, this is just the latest chapter in what can only be described as a saga between, you know, the Coyotes and Glendale. Um, you know, it seems like we're almost back to square one. You know, we, we had the bankruptcy, I think in 2010, 2011, uh, there was, you know, questions about whether the Coyotes were even going to be able to, to stay in Arizona. You know, there was league ownership. There was all kinds of stuff going on. They somehow went to the conference finals during that time frame. Um, you know, we've had a couple of new owners since then, and now we're back to square one, I think it seems like. Um, the Coyotes had that, that one year at a time lease with Glendale, and now Glendale, you know, sort of is opting out of that. So um, beyond next season, I think we'll, we'll have to, uh, the Coyotes might have a, a serious chance of leaving here if they can't get you something figured out. As someone who is both, follows the team and is also a fan of the franchise, is it, where are you at? Do you, are you thinking that this is going to happen where I'm not saying it's going to be Quebec City, even though the resources have almost been set up there for the most part? That's a discussion for a later date. Or do you think that the Coyotes are going to be able to stay, whether it be somehow pull out something out of the Keister in Glendale, have to go back to Phoenix and Phoenix Suns Arena, which was why they moved to Glendale in the first place, because that is not a hockey arena. Let's make that perfectly clear. Or... As we just kind of briefly mentioned there, Tempe, where Arizona State plays, where is the possibility? Like, what is your mindset with this whole thing on where they could end up? It's hard to tell right now. You know, um, they've been kind of kicking the can down the road here for the last couple of years. Like, oh, we'll, we'll figure something out. Something will come up. We'll just stay in Glendale until we get something figured out. Well, now Glendale's kicking it, kicking you out. So yeah, the time frame has definitely speeded up. Um, as far as going back downtown to the Suns Arena, um, I'm not sure if that's a realistic possibility, um, just based on the fact that the Suns owner hasn't really been willing to do that in the past, and you know wouldn't really want to accommodate the Coyotes while they build their own arena to compete for concerts, events, and whatnot. So, not sure there'd be any interest there from the Suns. Um, then Glendale, um, yeah, it could be a negotiating thing. It could not. Um, they said that there's they're they're not looking to bring you know return to the nego negotiating table for this. So. 
you know, Gary, I think Gary Bettman came out and said that it was a negotiating tactic. So I guess we'll have to see what happens. You know, money talks, all that stuff. So if the Coyotes can throw some more money in Glendale's way, I, I could definitely see them, them staying in Glendale until they can get something figured out. Maybe a new arena in Tempe. There's definitely been some traction for that here lately. Well, hearing Gary Bettman say that, saying that it's a negotiating tactic, first of all, it's the most Gary Bettman thing, the most lawyer thing he could possibly say when it comes to these sort of things. We've seen it all the time. And when we talk about the Blackhawks later, we'll definitely get into that whole scenario with Gary Bettman. But that's the thing is, you know, you want to stay optimistic. Obviously, they are sold on that that team should be in Arizona. Now, granted, myself, I listen to a lot of Canadian sports radio. Trust me, when that news broke on Friday, everyone that was in primetime radio or television was full scale. Here come the Nordique. That's that's pretty much how it was, Lewis. And I, you know, as someone who who loves to, I mean, I, like I said, ten years ago, I was full scale. Get Arizona out of here. Dallas is a joke. All the California teams, except for the Ducks and at that point the Kings, suck. Why even bother with all these Southern teams? I was that kind of way. But now I'm like, you know what? If you can make it work, but my thing is, Lewis, it's it it's hard to say it should still work in Arizona when the city that you were playing in says we don't want you here. That's where I think is where it's hard because you can have as many fans as you want. I mean, heck, where how'd the Phoenix Coyotes come to be? Because the Winnipeg Jets owners didn't want to pay the bucks anymore. They couldn't afford it. They didn't want it to work. Even though the fans still showed up, 17,000, 18,000 strong in the old Winnipeg arena, they still couldn't make it work. So now we're back, you know, I guess if you say the cycles come back around to Arizona here, if the city of Glendale and I guess any real big city in Arizona that has an arena doesn't want the Coyotes. Is it still worth it to put the effort and to go through all the negotiations to keep the team there? Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, um, they've had trouble with the ownership, like you said. Um, they've had trouble keeping a stable ownership. They've had trouble even having ownership during, during the league owner, ownership era. Um, so it's been kind of, you know, they've just been tossed around, you know, between billionaires here recently. So. Um, you know, it seems like no one's been able to to get anything happening with the Coyotes. They haven't had any chance or any success in getting a new arena built elsewhere in 10 years. So, um, you know, like it's definitely, you know, time is running out here. So if they can't get something figured out, we definitely could be looking at uh, a possible relocation. But I do think, like you said, Gary Bettman is, you know, extremely interested in the Phoenix market um, for his own reasons. Maybe that's because we're the fifth largest market. Maybe it's because the Coyotes have, you know, the, the footprint here. There's lots of hockey being played here. You got Austin Matthews. Yeah, there could be a variety of reasons for his his wanting to keep the Coyotes here, but um, I think in the end his his belief to keep the Coyotes here will prevail. I think they'll get something figured out, but you know I could just as easily see it you know not work out. And, and you got a bunch of a bunch of cities that are ready for teams. You got Houston, Kansas City, Quebec City. You got all kinds of people you know waiting for a team. So if they can't get it figured out here, might have to to look elsewhere. I will say, as someone who grew up in the IHL era when they had the Kansas City Blades. If, can't, if they can't make it work in Arizona or Phoenix or whatever, but they can somehow make it work in Kansas City, that's call, I call that back ass words if you ask me. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm like, what? Because I love the people in KC. I've had a couple guys actually played for the, the Monarchs over there in the ECHL. And it's got some fans and whatnot, but I don't know if an NHL team could work there. Heck, the one why the Devils are, came to be kids? Because the Kansas City Scouts couldn't make it work, and then the Rockies couldn't work, and then they became the Devils. And then that the rest is history. But I, you know, because this team, I, I don't know if I'd say I fell back in love with it because when they brought back the Kachinas, I got really excited for them all over again. The Jeremy Roenick nostalgia came flying back to me. Happy Bull and Kachuk the whole nine yards. But 
I, I almost, as much as I want to see a team back in Quebec, to see if it could work, because the way things ended in Quebec back in 95 are very similar in, in story to Winnipeg. So I'm like, hey, if the fan base is there, the money works out and you can make it work. But at this point, it's it's almost as if if you can try to get it to work, why not? But it's so hard to see that when even as many fans there can be, that Glendale says no, and if Phoenix says no, and if they can't make it work in Tempe. Now, I don't know if Arizona, because the rink in Tempe is going to be owned by Arizona State, correct? That's correct. It's going to be about a 5,000 seat, you know, college hockey focused rink. Oh, man, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> I mean, I, I, hey, listen, I, we have seen weirder stuff happen in the National Hockey League, but I guarantee Batman would not want to see if I, I'll tell you, look at the bright side. No one can ever complain that the Arizona Coyotes can't sell out because all the five, the 5,000 people that are at the games will finally actually be all in one building. It'll look pretty packed, but I, it's, I, you almost, you want it to happen. But once again, if the support's not there from the people that are in charge of those decisions, it's almost as if if you are the cows, you are the ownership that wants to keep the team there. It's almost not worth the effort, I guess, is my thing with the owners is I know you want to stay there, but if you're unwelcome, you may as well leave the party. Exactly. Like you said, they get kicked out of Glendale. You know, downtown Phoenix doesn't want them. You know, Tempe, you know, we'll see. They have a possible RFP out there for a possible arena, you know, with hotels and all that stuff. I think, uh, the Coyotes owner is, has a background in real estate, has a background in casinos. I believe he also has a, a sports gambling license in Arizona, which there's few of, which is, you know, definitely a license to to make some money. So I could see them, you know, making a kind of a, a mixed use area with a sports book with the hotels, entertainment, up in the arena sort of thing um, in Tempe. But, you know, that's definitely, you know, still on the drawing board. No, and, and like I've, I've said it for years, until I see a shovel go into the ground, I'm not going to really get too excited about any of these proposals or anything like that here. Well, there, man, there were some, well, of course, people remember that one point, you know, I believe it was around the time when the first real ownership problems happened in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when I, for, I forgot the guy's name, but he wanted to build an arena in Markham, Ontario, home of Steven Stamkos, and have a second team in the Toronto area. And I, I guess there was money there. And everyone's like, there's going to be two Toronto teams. It's going to be crazy. And it's going to be the GTA rivalry and blah, blah, blah. And then nothing came to it because I guess he must, there must have been communication with the league that there was no way they were going to allow two teams in the Toronto market. So, but like you said, I was not going to believe it until I saw it, as exciting as it would have been. So uh, trying to think optimistically then, or at least trying to focus on this season, because as much as we can look in the future and hope that something gets you know, a deal goes down, whether it be a one-year deal or a two-year deal, just to at least keep them until they can maybe find, like you said, an arena in Tempe or somehow Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns want to have another team. I don't know. That probably won't ever happen. But what about this year's team? Should you be, should Coyotes fans be excited about? Because obviously we see it. The the rebuild has come back into the air, into the state of Arizona. Ekman Larson gone. And, um, oh gosh, now I can't think of Connor Garland is gone. You have Darcy Kemper going to Colorado. What gets you about excited about this hockey team, except for Clayton Keller? <laughs> well, in terms of just solely next season, there's, there's not going to be a whole lot you know, of excitement on the ice. They, they definitely are going to be in contention to be the worst team in the league, I think. But I think that's going to be honestly, probably their goal. You know, that's like you said, they're going into a rebuild. You got, some good prospects coming up the next couple of years. You got Connor Bedard and Shane Wright coming in. So I think the Coyotes, um, you know, are their, their, 
you say sinking their own ship here at, at a good time, you know, to, to bottom out and, and try to get good lucky in the draft lottery, which they, they haven't yet. So we'll have to see how, how that strategy works out for them here in the future if they end up in the lottery again, which they, they look like they will. But um, I think just in terms of the, the team on the ice this year, there's not a whole lot to get excited about. But just looking to the future, there's a lot. Like Connor Garland with the new coaching staff. Um, Jacob Chikrin last year maybe was a top 10 defenseman in the league. It's going to be exciting to see if he can continue to take those steps forward. You got um, a lot of young guys will be playing next year. Barrett Hayden looking to still make an impact in the NHL. Um, Victor Soderstrom looking to still make an impact in the NHL. So um, there's going to be some stuff to get excited about. Just as a as a team, it probably isn't going to be you know very successful in terms of standings and points and wins and all that. But there's some stuff to get excited about. Yeah, and I that's that's why these teams are interesting. And this is coming from a guy who watched the Toronto Maple Leafs. Outside of that 2013 year, just have some miserable years. But it was always kind of fun because, you know, there were kids that you wouldn't really see typically play on good teams or consistent playoff teams. And I I can name a bunch that, you know, guys like um, uh, Mikhail Grabowski, who had a couple of good years. Like, there, there's a lot of players that you'll get to see and a lot of young kids that may not get chances that'll have that opportunity to play, I don't say a little bit of a spotlight, but get opportunities to play in the top six or in the top four and where in most years they may not. And I look at Barrett Hayton, I say to myself all the time, and I'm like, did that injury in 2020, or not 2020, excuse me, 2019 hurt him? Because I, I think I think he has so much to give still, but that it just seemed like he never got his footing in the end of that season after being injured with the World Juniors. But now, I mean, do you think he's going to be a guy that the Coyotes, you know, their offense is going to need if they want to have any chance of winning some hockey games next season? Absolutely. I, I think Barrett Hayden is probably the, the the most important player in terms of the future for the Coyotes. You know, they like you mentioned, Jeremy Ronick before, but they haven't had a number one center since those days. You know, they've had guys, you know, try to... Try what to about Shane Doan? Shane Doan's number is in the Raptors, that darn Yeah, baby. he is like a great right winger, but, you know, they haven't had the center, to, to the playmaking center or the goal-scoring center to, to, to kind of help these guys, you know, advance. I... I an article about it a couple of years ago about Shane Doan's Hall of Fame possibilities and you know if he was playing maybe some better teams better better Coyotes teams you could make that argument but you know didn't get to a thousand points you know largely because they never had a center to play with him that was you know a top six or even top nine center that was good enough you know so you know center's been a huge position of need for them for so long and if, if Barrett Hayden can you know live up to the hype so to speak you know, he's had success in, in every level of, he's, of hockey that he's been at so far so if he's able to make that jump to the NHL and have some success next season, that would definitely go a long way towards the Coyotes, you know, getting back to um, relevancy, you know, sooner rather than later. You, you know, it's funny. You look at this roster, and I'm going to go off through a couple of the names, and we've obviously have gone over the, some of the signings in the past, but of course we mentioned Keller and Kessel, of course. They have Christian Dvorak still there. But they have names on there. I don't think I don't know if Andrew Ladd's going to play. I know he wants to play, but I don't know if he will. Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Ryan Dezingle, Anton Strawman, Shane Gosses, Bear, Lewis. You got to tell me that this would, team would be great in 2015, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, I texted a buddy of mine that when they were making all these trades, it's like, well, you know, we're looking good for the 2016, the you know, Western Conference champions. If we no play kidding from that, but unfortunately, it's it's 2021-22 now. So. Uh, we'll have to see if some of those guys can maybe get back to uh, where they were a couple years ago, especially Shane Gossespierre. Um, I think he has some injury troubles in Philadelphia, but when healthy, he can be, you know, electric defenseman, off offensive defenseman. So um, it's just going to depend on if, you know, these guys can you know stay healthy and, and get back to where they were previously. 
Because think of it this way, too. Jane Gosper came from Philadelphia, and that last year that team was an unmitigated disaster, at least compared to their expectations. And I, you see these guys quite often go from big markets, big spotlight, lots of pressure, they're not playing the best, and then they go to these smaller markets, and there's a lot of pressure that's relieved from them. They don't need to be superstars. They just need to play well enough to be an everyday NHLer. And guys like Anton Strollman and Gostas Bear and you know Beagle and Roussel maybe because you know they're not getting I mean they are getting paid a big chunk of money to play but it's not like you know I don't think Bill Armstrong is gonna get fired over trading for them um but you know at least you know these guys maybe have a little bit of rejuvenation they get to play in the sun they get to relax they get to go to practice in shorts Arizona State that should be if that's not their recruiting ploy that should be like on their pamphlet whenever they send it to guys you get to show up in shorts all the time to practice but like they get to go out, no pun intended, their careers, they get to go off in the sunset just and get a chance to play. And that could help them, at least from my eyes, from the player's perspective, give them an opportunity to show these younger kids that, you know, hey, here's how to be an everyday NHLer and here's what it takes to make it and make it for a long time, given the fact that these guys have played for a few years. Absolutely. Like you said, it's, it's definitely a lower stress environment to play in Arizona versus someplace like Philadelphia or even Vancouver, one of the Canadian cities where, um, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson and Kyle Garland went to, and they get a couple of players back. So uh, definitely a lower stress environment. You know, there's less media attention here. Um, you, know, you can actually go to the store if you need to, and no one's going to, you know, ask you for an autograph while you're trying to, you know, swipe your credit card. Hey, so. Roussel, $3 million. You want to get our milk today, bud? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that's not going to happen down there in Glendale. Yeah, there shouldn't be anything like that happening here. Um, but like you said, it could be rejuvenation. We saw kind of an opposite thing happen with Ilya Brzezgalov. Um, yeah, he was a Vezina, you know, contender goaltender here. Left, went to Philadelphia, and kind of, you know, the pressure was too much for him. So we'll see if maybe became an astrologist, an astronomist. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of things happened to him in Philadelphia that uh, definitely were were not good. So we'll see if maybe we get the opposite effect with with Gostas Beer and he can come out to Arizona and and just play hockey and not have to worry about you know the media or anything like that. Well, I, I want to quickly jump back to last season because I will be honest, I put Arizona, I think I had them fifth finishing in the West because I just felt like since Minnesota was in that division that Minnesota was going to do their thing where they just barely get in the playoffs and lose in the first round. Well, they got third, but they still knocked down the first round. So I was half right there. And I, I don't know what it was because, you know, they played well in the bubble in 2020. They looked like they could have done something. Unfortunately, they ran into Colorado, who was playing that thing where they go Billy Madison on kids in dodgeball. And they did that to Arizona. And unfortunately, it just seemed like they'd never be able to recover. And, you know, looking at it from your perspective, Lewis, what was the reason why Arizona just couldn't get consistency? Was it injuries? I know Kemper was out for a little bit. Obviously, there's the whole anti-Ranta injury bug that went around. I don't know if Kemper got hit by it, but what went wrong last year for Arizona? I think it was a combination of things last year. Like you said, you had the injuries. You had you know, some young players not necessarily live up to the hype to be able to produce. You had some veterans take some steps back, notably Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, you know, you had you had some bright spots. Phil Kessel rebounded last year after an injury plague season the year before. You know, obviously he has a streak going, but he definitely wasn't you know, healthy in his first year here in Arizona. But he rebounded last year. You had Connor Garland continue to play well. You had Jacob Chickman with a breakout season. You had Aiden Hill step up and provide some solid goaltending without, you know, Kemper and Ronta injured. Um, just wasn't enough of it to go around. Uh, there wasn't enough, enough scoring. There wasn't enough defense being played. You know, the Coyotes had probably one of the oldest blue lines in the league last year. 
and they definitely started to show their age down the stretch. So just a lot of things went wrong last year and, you know, just weren't able to overcome it. And of course, smack dab in the middle of the season, Katie Strang with the bombshell article, one of the two she put out this year, you know, I, and you know, we, my Peyton Turnage and I, we had our, we had our take, we gave our licks out there to, you know, the Gutierrez family and whatnot. And I, what, what is your take with the, with the ownership? I've, you know, we heard the stories, we heard, we heard how Bill Armstrong was, and then Bill Armstrong did a radio hit the next day on Arizona sports talk. And I was like, Anybody going to ask him about this thing? I, you know, I, what is your take on this team? Because it just it makes it with all the ownership issues in the past with this team, it just almost adds to the the mantra of that the Coyotes and front office and the upper and the upper floors there. It just it doesn't click all the time. What is your thoughts, at least on on the ownership group that's currently running the Oats right now? I think uh, currently, you know, it's going to just take some time for them to recover, um, especially for the front office. You had John Chaika with, with all of his missteps there. So in terms of the front office, it's going to take some time to recover. But in terms of the ownership, you know, it definitely hasn't been great news so far. You've had you've had the reports of them missing rent payments on the arena. You've had the reports of them you know, being late with bonus payments, which is pretty much unheard of in the NHL. Um, you know, so you've had that uh, those items. You had you know, the, the issue with the, the culture off the ice and in the, in the workplace. I think some of that could be a carryover from the Czech administration. Also, I know there was a lot of um, a lot of you know a lot was made of it on social media about Armstrong kind of cleaning house when he first got there. I think the assistant GM quit, a bunch of other guys quit. So um, I think that was more of a cleaning house than anything else. Um, but you know, there's definitely been a lot of turnover, a lot of you know, a lot of smoke, so to say. You know, there could be some fire there. Just it's it's interesting to kind of see what's come out and. And uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see how they how they address it going forward, especially with the rent payments. That was you know one of the things that City of Glendale brought up with uh, part of the reason why they they broke off this relationship. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can you know maybe mend that relationship and come back to Glendale, or if they you know can you know clean their their act up a little bit and just go somewhere else and try to convince another municipality here to give them another chance with a new arena somewhere. And tying this back actually into the on ice product, if you're a free agent. Because let's be honest, Arizona and dating back to the Phoenix or the early days of Phoenix, it's been tough for them to get big name free agents just because of the market and, you know, the fact that the team, it was hard for them to pay players the big bucks. But now that they were showing that they weren't giving bonuses, does that hurt their team as a whole on ice? Because, you know... Say the hypothetical thing happens that after next season, Kyle Dubas wants to clean house and he is shopping one Austin Matthews. Does Austin Matthews approve that trade, even though that's his hometown team, but he sees how things are going and doesn't want to go there just because of that reason? I think they'll definitely have to to get it together here. Um, I've been, I've been talking, kind of texting with my buddies and saying here, if the Coyotes have to go move back in with their parents for a couple of years, they got to go play it. You know, the old veterans coliseum where they got to go play with the sons or they got to go pay more money to glendale they got to you know quote unquote live with their parents for a while and then you know when austin matthews is a free agent or whatever they can you know move back and get their own place and have austin matthews and have this grand you know reinvention so you know as things currently stand you know it's definitely not a great situation but um you know they have a couple of years to rebuild here before they can even you know think about maybe being relevant and, and signing free agents or getting austin matthews or anything like that a couple of years away I'm going to throw you in Bill Armstrong's shoes here and not, you know, not just because we want someone else there in Arizona, but also because of the fact that maybe 
that, you know, if try to how to find a way to guide this team through this because being a general manager during a rebuild is never fun. God bless Steve Eiserman in Detroit and the patience the Pajulas have with Kevin Adams, but then again, that's a whole different ball can of worms that we don't need to open up here. What are you doing to I I guess in a way sell the team sell the team on competing every night to try to get better, but also showing that this team can be worth the price of admission for the folks in the area that want to go watch the Coyotes. I mean, what are you doing to try to make sure that this team is competitive, but at the same token, realizing that you are rebuilding and you are not going to be going to the playoffs for a couple of years. It's definitely going to be a tough sell to, you know, the casual fans. Phoenix is notoriously a bandwagon city. Um, you know, one of the things I, I noticed this summer was the Suns with, with going to the NBA finals. You know, you couldn't get Suns tickets this summer. It was like six, seven, eight hundred dollars for nosebleeds. Five years ago, I sat in those same seats for ten dollars. Now, you know, it's six hundred dollars. So all you have to do is start winning games and people show up. Um, so I think it's it's going to be a tough sell for you know the, the casual fans of Phoenix. But you know, there's definitely um, maybe ten, eleven, twelve thousand diehard Coyotes fans that that'll be there. Um, but just beyond that, I think it's going to be tough to to draw any of the um, you know the ca- casual or fair weather or you know fans that live here they don't support the coyotes maybe they came from detroit they came from chicago they still support you know the red wings blackhawks stuff like that they don't necessarily want to support the coyotes so it might be hard to get those fans in the building right now but there definitely is a contingent of, of coyotes fans diehards that'll, that'll be there so it's just gonna be interesting to see how they how they market it this year with you know the rebuild going on and and, and not looking, at, looking towards the future you know it's funny that you mentioned how hawks fans will come down in droves and wings fans will do the same and and, you know, I, maybe I've just noticed this lately, but the Leafs seem to have a following just about everywhere out west, it seems like. I, I got to ask you this, because I know people are probably a little frustrated because we have just been going on a central division binge as of late, as I just whacked my microphone. I, I, I And it's funny, we're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. As we got from Minnesota, St. Louis, Dallas, and now we're Arizona and Chicago here. Do you think moving to the central division, as much of a pain for travel it is for the Coyotes, you're going to be in the market of Chicago, of st louis minnesota doesn't really have a big traveling fan base they have obviously passionate fans it's the state of hockey but also then you have the winnipeg jets fan base and if the border opens up at freely later on during the season that's going to be a big crowd coming down you know if there's a year to change divisions this would be the year at least for ticket sales right absolutely you get a couple of chicago games you know a couple every year um, that should definitely help matters uh, it's definitely not like it used to be um you know back when i first got into hockey it was 2010 2011 that was at the height of you know, Blackhawks mania, so to speak. You couldn't get oh, yeah. tickets to those games. I think I, I went to one game and paid like $80 for a nosebleed. That was the most I ever paid for a, a ticket. And I was like 20 years old. You know, I was like, oh my God, $80, but it's Blackhawks. I got to go, you know? And then of course you get there and you're outnumbered by the Chicago fans in your own rink. But um, I think that could help. You know, like, like you said, there's a lot of um, fan bases here from, from the Midwest that have moved to Phoenix and they still support their old teams. So um, definitely could be good for attendance to, to have, you know, more central division teams especially from the midwest where those those snowbirds come from yeah i know a lot of it's weird because from people i talk to it's the the country of canada in terms of you know people that like to go south for the winter it's really divided up into each region quebec maritimes and ontario they like to go down to florida a few exceptions but then the the prairies the albertas manitobans they like to go down to texas I don't hear a whole lot of people from Vancouver, though, going down to Arizona. I know there's a few just from talking to friends of mine, and they say, oh, yeah, I have my uncle that lives in Surrey, goes down there a couple times a year. 
it's not it just doesn't seem like as many people travel in west at least south in western canada i, I don't know if you've noticed it or not but it, it just seems like there's less of that out there there's definitely a lot of Winnipeg fans. You know, they do the the True North during the national anthem. You can you can hear them every time. Well, I feel like that's just that's straight. That is straight salt from years ago. That is pent up aggression. I'm pretty sure, Lewis. Absolutely, but you can you can definitely hear them every time they're they're here. You know, there's a, there's a lot of them at those games. And then you know, I think Vancouver usually brings a lot of fans down here. Um, I think the Oliver Ekman Larson thing could actually help with that. You know, a lot of people will still support him since now he's Vancouver. They might, you know, be inclined to to come to his first game back or or stuff like that. Especially Connor Garland. Connor Garland's a fan favorite here, so that could you know, be an impact in getting people to the rink. But um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Canadians, a lot of people from the Midwest out here during the winter, and you know, in theory that should help with attendance. But those people aren't Coyotes fans, right? So they're only going to come to a handful of games. So. Well, it doesn't, that doesn't have the impact you think it would have. I know, I know so many people that were, this is, you know, obviously I'm tying it over to the East, you know, Eastern bias, if you will. But there were a lot of people that lived in Nashville that were like Red Wings fans. And then the Preds came along and they were still Red Wings fans. But then after a few years, they're like, you know what? I'll cheer for Nashville. So all you got to do down there, Lewis, is you got to sell the people that travel down to Arizona and say, y'all should stay here because it's nice and whatnot. And then that's how you grow the fan base, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They- Gotta get some of these people to convert, you know, convert over to uh, to Coyotes fans and Suns fans and Cardinals fans and, and whatnot, you know. I just don't know how you're gonna sell people on living to 125 degree temperatures, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not the marketing uh, guy down there. I think I think they said something like 100,000 people moved here in the last two or three years, so people are people aren't afraid of it. It's, it's I, surprising. I guess not. People tell me it's a dry heat. And I'm like, I was in Denver when it was 97 degrees. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's still hot. Hot is hot. Right? It's still hot. You know, Lewis, a couple more things, a couple questions here before we let you go. You mentioned OEL. And I remember just, I don't know what it is, but since he signed that big contract, whether it be the pressure, whether it be the status of being now the franchise, it just didn't seem like he was himself after signing that big contract. Did things turn sour at some point for you with Oliver Ekman Larson to lead him to being traded to Vancouver? Or do you just think that there was an array of events that caused him to his play to in one, more ways than one diminish? I think there was a lot of things that went into that. Like you mentioned, the big contract. Um, he got the contract, the captaincy, and Rick Pocket became the coach all around the same time. So... Um, you know, I think there was some whispers about uh, Rick Tockett and OEL not really seeing eye to eye, which isn't always a great thing for your head coach and your captain to not see eye to eye. Um, then you have the pressure of making what is it, $8.25 million a year. You got the captaincy. So that's a lot to, to, to kind of deal with all in a short period of time. And I think, you know, he's 30 years old now. They, they say, you know, your, your peak as a hockey player is, you know, significantly less than 30, especially nowadays with all the young players that have come in and, and dominated. So. You know, 30 years old isn't what it used to be in, in the NHL. So um, I think it's just a combination of those, those factors. You got the, the disagreement with the coaching staff. You had the contract captaincy and you know, he's just he's not getting any younger. So um, I think it's a lot of those factors kind of came combined to, to you know, have to, to make this move necessary. And, you know, I have no ill will towards OEL. I, I enjoyed his, his play here. It was fun to watch him on some of those bad teams, especially when they were trying to tank and get McDavid. I think OEL scored 23 goals that year. So. That was a lot of fun to watch, but he was definitely the bright spot in a lot of those teams. But you know, nothing lasts forever. That's the, you know, that's why you see very few guys are retiring with the teams that that draft them. You know, it's just usually time for a, a fresh start eventually, no matter who it is. 
And that, kids, is why you never buy a sweater with a current player's name on it, because eventually you'll get it and they will no longer be there. I yeah, think I wanted to get one of those Connor Garland purple retro jerseys, and I was like, you know, I'll just I'll just wait and see if they resign him. You know, I have kind of a funny feeling, and then here, lo and behold, everyone's like, oh, it's he's their best player. They're not going to trade him. And I'm like, oh, it's the Coyotes. I've been a fan for too long to kind of you know expect something to happen before it does. You know, so my brother jerseys here yet. Oh yeah, my my brother and I we had we called it the the year of Toronto because we went to like Toronto like five times in one year, and we went to like Blue Jays games, TFC games, all this cool stuff because. For some reason, even though we made no money, we were able to go to Canada a lot. It didn't make any sense. Financially, not at least. But we got, um, I got myself a Brett Laurie Toronto Blue Jays shirt. My brother got a Rene Hilberto, and I got a Jermaine Defoe TFC shirts because Jermaine Defoe was the big signing that year. All three of those guys were done, were gone by the end of the season. <laughs> Brett, Brett Laurie was traded for Josh Donaldson. Devoe went back to, I think he went to Southampton, and Hilberto, I think, went to Brazil or something like that. And it was just the most bonkers thing. And I looked at my brother, I'm like, I am never getting another shirt or jersey with a current player's name on it. And I came this close to getting a Jose Bautista shirt once. And I'm like, you know, maybe I should wait on this. And then lo and behold, the Jays didn't pick up his option. And I'm like, see, that kid's, I mean, I'm sure like I'll never get, like, I think the last jersey I bought was a Mike Palmatier jersey for the Leafs because I know that, hey, he can't come back. He hasn't played in 40 years. I, you know, like that's what I just love, laugh at that because I see those pictures, especially around free agency of people getting brand new jerseys. They just had bought them at the end of the season, thinking they're going to be there forever or at least a few more years and they're gone. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's lovely how that works, right? Absolutely. I think I have a couple jerseys in my closet. I have an Oliver Eckman Larson jersey in my closet that, you know, now it's, it's out of dated. I had a redeemed Ravonna jersey that I had done Oof. when after he led them in scoring. He led them in scoring and they still didn't bring him back. It's like, well, so much for that. I figured that was a safe choice, but it wasn't. Um, you know, all I have is left is the Shane Doan. That's, you know, you can, you can always break that out whenever you need to. Rather than that, everything, everything gets out of date pretty quick, unfortunately. I got, I think the two that were really fun. So the, I think the only ones I ever got that stuck were I got Dominic Hasek in 04. He went to Ottawa, but then came back. Chris Osgood after the lockout. So that was fine. Both Red Wing sweaters. But then I, there was one year because my dad had this deal. If I had like four shutouts, I got a jersey. I don't know how he afforded all these because I had like a great year that year. I got a Mike Vernon Calgary jersey, but of course his career had been done, so it worked out. But I also got a Roberto Luongo jersey. I think it was the lockout year, 0405. And then a year and a half later, he's in Vancouver. Thankfully, though, Vancouver didn't want to pay that contract. They sent him back to Florida. So it works out in the end, I guess. Yeah, it came back in style for you. Exactly. You know, it was the, the nice blue early 2000s one. It looks cool, and everyone thinks it's nice and retro. I still think they should go back to it entirely, but then again, that's just me being an old fart. Uh, last thing here, speaking of retro players and old timings, I mean, looking at your time following the Coyotes and being a fan of the Coyotes, as you mentioned, you really became a big fan during 2010-2011 era when they were making the playoffs for, was, was, it, uh, was that three years in a row or four years in a row? I think it was three years in a row back then. They just had brought in Dave Tippett and they went three years in a row, his, his first three years. Yep, because it was game, seven games against Detroit in 2010. Detroit got mad about that and beat him in four the next year. And then there was the run to the conference finals. We're just going to say for some reason we, for, you know, if the coyotes don't figure it out and they have to move somewhere, just in case we, for some reason, forget to bring you on, even though I probably won't. What is your favorite moment with the coyotes? Is there a moment that stands out? Was it the, the run to only two wins short 
was it two or three wins short of the Stanley Cup final? They lose in five or six. That they lost in five that year. They lost on home ice, so it had to have been five. I remember because Mike Smith almost killed somebody. Um, <laughs> so they came a few wins short of the Cup that year. Obviously, the bubble team was fun to watch. Kemper getting a career re- revitalization. What is your favorite moment with the Coyotes? That's pretty easy. I'd have to say game one of that Nashville series in 2012. Um, you know, I had been to a handful of games before that. I was, you know, kind of get really getting into hockey, but you know, I wasn't really a huge diehard yet. But then I went to game one of the Nashville series. I took my buddy to the game and it was his first ever hockey game. So, you know, we're at the game, you know, don't really know what's happening. I, I you know, had only been to a handful of games. It was just his first one. So and we're just there taking it all in and, you know, they won in overtime on a goal that came out of nowhere. They Ray had, Whitney. Uh, yeah, Ray Whitney. The they wizard himself. In the third period, they got outshot throughout overtime. And then all lo and behold, they went a face off and Ray Whitney scores. And you know, it was just insane to be there. And, you know, I think it was just, you know, it was unbelievable. I was like maybe 21, 22 years old. We spent like 40, 50 bucks on tickets, which was a lot for oh, us back then. 40, 50 <laughs> bucks for playoff tickets. That That's Arizona kids. Holy moly. Pretty much, yeah. That's, that sums up the Coyotes early 2010s. You know, we're in the playoffs, but it's, it's only $50. Jeez, come on, come all. It's 50 but, bucks uh, to park by the Scotiabank Arena during the playoffs <laughs> for the Leafs, I tell you. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, that game one of the Nashville series is, is definitely number one on the list for me, but by a long shot. It was just, you know, a combination of everything. You know, my buddy's first game, my, you know, one of my first handful games, and just the Coyotes, you know, being good for the first time in, in so long. And it was, it was just, you know, one of the one of the best sporting events I've, I've been to. It still kills me because you just had to go spoil. And Peyton Turnage, good buddy Peyton Turnage, is watching the show right now. He just texts me that Whitney goal because he's a big hard Preds fan. And I just have to remind you that they decided to spoil the fun for us. We all wanted Pecorine versus Jonathan Quick. That would have been the goaltending matchup. Instead, we get Psycho Mike Smith versus, (laughs) well, eventually Psycho Jonathan Quick. He wasn't there yet, but it was still a fun playoff run to see that team, even though it was at the expense of all of us traditional hockey fans and all of us that wrote ACT articles and pieces to saying that this Coyotes team is a joke. And then they come with him three wins in the Stanley Cup final. So I guess we're all wrong, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's psycho Mike Smith that works for him. You know, whenever, he, whenever he gets mad, he plays better. So whatever, whatever works for him, right? Well, yeah, he plays better because no one's going to stand in front of him. That's why <laughs> he can see every yeah, shot. Yeah, because they're not trying to score. They're trying to probably hit him in the face match with the shot, right? So... And it's a good, they're trying to hit you with the puck. That's why Mike Smith has become synonymous with the with this thing, the the duck thing he does. It's it's as a goaltender, as a goaltending coach and goaltending analyst, I, it's annoying to watch, but you can see why. Getting even hit in the mask hurts, so I can see why. Just like like a sitting duck, it's it's hilarious. But I guess you know self preservation. I guess is the way to describe it. Absolutely, you got to make a business decision, right? Oh, yeah. Well, shoot. He's getting a multi-year contract at his age. I guess that is a good business decision, except <laughs> for I'm sure the entire Edmonton area is screaming at the top of their lungs right now. But I digress. That's why we're down here in Michigan. We have been chatting up here with Louis Pannone, Arizona Coyotes reporter. Hopefully for longer than one more season. We'll just have to wait and see. Follow him, guys, on Twitter, Louis Pannone. Lewis, thank you so much again for jumping on here. It's always fun talking about the Yotes for better or worse. Let's hope that they stick around for another year or two, eh? Absolutely. It'd be nice to keep on covering them and keep on watching some you know, NHL hockey here in the Valley. It'd be, it'd be nice. You can cover the Quebec Nordique remotely, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll think about it. My French isn't that good right now, so I'll have to work on it. You'll be the English reporter. That's what it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There we go. We're going to take a quick break, folks. When we come back, more of the QL Show here on 12 Out Sports.
And welcome back to the Kuehl Show, everyone. Tyler Kuehl here, the inside of the insiders. If you're just joining us, we, you just missed a great interview there with Louis Pannon, Arizona Coyotes reporter. Always fun to talk with him. And we had a discussion, everything from ownership to Glendale to what it's like watching Ray Whitney score that goal. Yes, Peyton Turnage, that goal in the 2012 playoffs, second round against the Nashville Predators. So in about a little over 10 minutes time, we're going to have Zach Martin join us here from Belly Up Sports, Cannons, and Tomahawks podcast, talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. But before we get to that, let's get to some news here. News that we didn't mention off the top because we had Lewis queued up and wanted to get him in there as we deservedly should. But some news over the past 24 hours that have, well, 36 hours that have been um, just tough pills to swallow all around. First of all, yesterday, Rod Gilbert, Hockey Hall of Famer, Mr. Ranger, the first Ranger to ever have his sweater number retired by the franchise, passes away at the age of 80 years old. One of the most gifted players, probably one of the best, if not the best, player to never have won the Stanley Cup, played on some really good teams in the late 60s and early 70s there in New York, passes away at the age of 80. And then we learned this morning, Jimmy Hayes, 31 years old, retired, former Florida Panther, Boston Bruin, Chicago Blackhawk, New Jersey Devil player, passed away at the age of 31. That one, really, that one hit because I remember Jimmy coming, A, because Jimmy was a Toronto Maple Leaf draft pick, and he'd won a national championship with Boston College, was a very talented hockey player, wasn't obviously a superstar when he came to the NHL, but was a guy that, you know, was a Loved playing in New England, Beantown guy. The Boston Bruins put out a great piece on him today as well. And, you know, we'll probably ask Zach Martin about this as well when we have him on, given that he played for the Blackhawks, but certainly a huge lost hockey community. Our thoughts and prayers right now here from the Kula Show are both with the Gilbert family and the Hayes family during these very tough times. And going back to the Rangers, Henrik Lundqvist late last week, announced his retirement after 15 seasons in the National Hockey League. This one was, it was kind of back and forth, right? Like we weren't 100% sure if he was actually going to retire. Because remember how he had the heart problems, had to go back home, was supposed to play for the Washington Capitals, had some sweet looking gear. And, you know, everything kind of just went a little sideways. And so tough to see him go we'll probably talk a little bit more about him here as you just saw we're gonna have zach martin come on here in just a second we'll take another break folks when we come back zach martin from the cannons and tomahawks podcast here on the kula show here on 12 out sports we'll be back right after this and welcome back to the kula show everyone here on this monday august 23rd a few weeks away from the regular season of the National Hockey League. Right now, we have the Women's World Championships going on right now. Czech Republic up on Japan, one nothing after one period of play. Second period from Calgary, just about to get going here. Of course, like I said, Mary mentioned earlier, we talked to Louis Pannon about the Arizona Coyotes when we, of course, are sticking with the Central Division. It's an unintentional trend here on the Kula Show, but we're sticking with it, sticking to it. We're hitting the Hawks page now, and joining us is a guy that knows a thing or two about this team, a guy that's from Ohio, but is a Hawks fan, lives in South Carolina, all over the map. Then again, like I said, I'm a, we've gone over this before. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I cheer for the University of Michigan Wolverines. I love Ferris State hockey. I'm a Leafs fan. 
It doesn't make any sense. But then again, we're here on The Kula Show are not here to make dollars. We're here to make sense and none of that indeed. With that, let's bring on our guest today. He is the co-host of the Cannons and Tomahawks podcast on Belly Up Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, Zach Martin. Zach, how are we doing today, sir? Doing good, Tyler. Appreciate you with the invite, man. I'm really excited to talk about the Blackhawks. So, like I said, thank you so much for having me on tonight. Looking forward to it. So, kind of, we, we were kind of talking off air in the last commercial break about how you were a Hawks fan in Ohio. Now, I know Big Ten land, we're talking about college football coming up here, Big Ten land, Ohio and Illinois and Michigan, like that, you don't cross borders in that certain area. But I guess if you're a hockey fan, growing up when you were in Ohio, you didn't really have much of a choice because let's be honest, you don't want to cheer for the Cincinnati Cyclones. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a definitely it's been it's an interesting of how you're a hockey fan in Ohio because for me, you know, being born in '91, you didn't really have the Jackson to 2000, so it's either you have Detroit, Pittsburgh, or Chicago. And I've always liked the logo, I always liked the jerseys, and I, you know, I, I'm a big Eddie Belfort fan, so it kind of just worked out like that where I'm like. I'm just going to be a Blackhawks fan and then, you know, moved to North Carolina for a few years, got some season tickets through, you know, me and my parents did. So kind of like a, also a Hurricanes fan at the same time too. But yeah, it's, I can't cheer for a team from Pittsburgh. So, you know, being from Northeast Ohio. So kind of, that kind of figured itself out for me. Well, because you, you were born in 91. So you were technically alive for the series between the penguins and the blackhawks if looking back on it, it really wasn't much all it gave us was the this kid named dominic Hoshik, but he wasn't in chicago too much longer than that no it's definitely a big if, like what if if the blackhawks catch him but of course you know, like i said you had Eddie belfort at the time and stuff like that so you kind of had like what can you really do i mean now if you had those two in this tandem era of hockey oh the blackhawks would have been an absolute wagon if you had both of those guys in net compared to the oh it's this one guy for 90%, like 95% of the games, and then this other guy for like three games at a time. So yeah, we, it was I'm, a lot different. I remember we went on a dive one time on this program, and we were talking about like cows, like Cam Talbot in the year he was nominated for the Vesna in Edmonton. He had like 71 starts, and no one had started that many games since I think it was like the 2011 season. But back in the 90s, Back when, like, if you knew your backup goaltender, that was strictly because you were a hardcore fan. Because even if you were a casual fan, your team, you knew one goaltender. Like, cause, yeah. I mean, back then it was Eddie Belfour and Band of Merry Men. I only know Craig Billington. It was the backup for Patrick Waugh because it's laughable that he was below 500 every single year in Colorado for the most part. But Patrick Waugh was the starter, so no one really cared. Yeah. But, and, of course, the Chicago Blackhawks are very good friends with Patrick Waugh, I'm sure, because I mean, then again, Zach, I'm sure you know as well as anyone, no matter what you say to Patrick, he can't hear you because he has his two Stanley Cup rings plugging his ears. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the, I would say probably one of the best sound bites ever for the fact that Jeremy Renick thought he did something and then just, no, not so much. So, uh, yeah. Jeremy Roenick, the probably one of the best talkers in the game. Hence why he had a job there for NBC Sports for a little bit. But let's get to the current Hawks here, Zach. And, you know, we mentioned it before, and we haven't really gotten heavily into it on this show just because there hasn't been a whole lot of detail. There's only been speculation and hearsay, she say. But now we kind of have a gist on the situation with former video coach Brad, or excuse me, former conditioning coach Brad Aldrich. And, you know, it's I, I've let, I've read a lot of Rick Westhead from TSN. He's done an amazing job covering this. 
Katie Schring as well has been involved in it. And of course, everyone remembers the, the state of the league address and then the grilling of questions from all the reporters before game one of the Stanley Cup finals to both both uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. What is your take on this whole saga of the sexual abuse allegations that are surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks going back to the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs? Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, of course, read it at your own will if you want to you know, dive into the actual details and stuff like that, because it's pretty heavy stuff. So, I mean, it's it's definitely disturbing. And, you know, it's unfortunately it's another thing that's within hockey culture that this isn't the first time that, you know, these type of allegations have been thrown out. And unfortunately, it might not be the last, depending on when hockey ever decides to, you know, crack down on this problem that they have. But in terms of the Blackhawks, I mean, it's it's a really tough situation, you know, because you're, you know, you kind of heard rumblings about it, you know, way, way back when, but it never really took off. And then, you know, Eric Westhead just, you know, in the last probably few months have really put out in the forefront. And it's probably, you know, it's put the Blackhawks on the, they have to deal with this because this is a story that's going to go away, especially with social media now. It's more rampant and it's everywhere and, you know, everyone's talking about it. So I think it's definitely it's probably going to set a precedent to how things do get changed. And I think for me, it's like whoever was involved and it could be whoever's in the front office now, for me, they have to be fired like point blank. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. It's like, if they knew, like they knew about it and they didn't do anything about it. And if you come to the point where it's like, it has to be done, I think for the Blackhawks, they have to do the right thing. And I mean, they have to, make a president about changing the culture and, fi- and fixing things, but they also do need to be like, well, if you were, if you knew and you let it go on and you give them a recommendation, I think you have to be fired point blank. And it, it, we might have to lose a GM and a president and a whole bunch of other stuff, but it has to be, it has to be done. I mean, you've got to set a trend that's in the, going in the right direction to help change the culture that's in hockey that unfortunately is still going around. Yeah, because currently Brad Aldrich is being charged. I forget the exact charges. I didn't pull up the article at this uh, right before the show, but he's being charged because he was working and there was a high school athlete he was working with up in Houghton, Michigan, the home of Michigan Tech, for those that don't know, and uh, known as John Doe 2 in the case. Obviously, there's not going to be any names revealed, barring that that's what the, the, the uh, I'm going to say the, the prosecutor, pro- the, the, the prosecuting case, they're not going to release names unless the, the party wants to. But this is it's this whole crazy saga with this whole thing. And the point that that gets me every single time, because don't forget this, for those that don't know or have lived under rock or I guess are under the age of 10, that was the first Stanley Cup for the Chicago Blackhawks. First one in, 50, you know, in a long time, 49 years. It had been you know since Bobby Hall and Stan Makita and Glenn Hall were the around the Hawks team. That's how long it was. And the stories came out or the, the had been brought up what Brad was doing during the playoffs. And I believe it was the series they said against San Jose. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, it, that right there, cause you mentioned how hockey culture and the old school mentality, because you didn't want to ruffle any feathers during the playoffs, especially this could be the Hawks year. We can't do anything because had Stan Bowman and and John McDonough, the president, had they actually done something then, would the Hawks have won? We, we don't know, obviously. But they didn't want it to affect the team. They didn't want anything to happen, even though there was, you know, players talking, players all, you know, from what the people that are throwing out these allegations are saying is that a lot of the players knew, which would include 
the upper regime, the Keiths, the Canes, and the Taves and whatnot. Obviously, that is none of that's been confirmed, but that's just with what the way the John Doe one has described it. That's the story that it is. The recent piece, the real big piece, which, like I said, as Zach mentioned here, very graphic, very detailed from Rick Westhead, was the story from Paul Vincent. And he went public and he left his name out because he wanted people to know that he was part of the team. The former skills coach of the Hawks brought up to or had brought it up to the upper echelon and had a meeting with John McDonough and Stan Bowman, the GM, sports psychologist James Gary. I had to listen from me just so I make sure I have the names right. He had mentioned it to them. Stan and them asked, how much do you know? And according to paraphrasing here, according to the article, according to Paul Vincent, he said that they were going to be, it was going to be taken care of. Obviously, as we've learned, the story is, however it was taken care of, was taken care of improperly. And it ties into this question here, Zach. Don't worry, folks. If you're watching right now, listening in here on the podcast, we will get to the hockey side of the Hawks here in a minute. We'll actually get to the team, the current team that's going to take place next season. But... There is the Sandusky, Jerry Sandusky with Penn State. Recently, there has been the Bo Schembechler questioning with their former Michigan doctor, Robert Anderson, over the past few months as well. Do you, how do you think this story, whether or not anything is proven, whether it is any lawsuit that comes out of this, anyone's found guilty, does this affect Stan Bowman's tenure and his legacy as the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks? I honestly... It's an interesting question for the fact that because you know with how Sam Bowman has, I guess, quote unquote, led the team, he's done a lot of weird trades and draft picks and a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's another story for another time. But it, in terms of this, I would say, yeah, it's going to change his legacy because you're looking at, you know, before it's like, oh, well, Sam Bowman was able to create a team that won three cups in six years and all this other stuff. You could have could have been more if you know some other bounces went the way for the Hawks in the playoffs. But I think this kind of will overtake that because the fact this is a huge thing is the fact that this happened in 2010, nothing got taken care of. And then you gave, you let the guy go and then you give him a recommendation to work at a high school, which if you knew. Uh, also, um, he, also Miami, Miami of Ohio as well. That was where I think the first one, but then the high school as well. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Miami of Ohio too, which still blows <laughs> my mind. Yeah, there, there's there's that other piece too that kind of gets lost because it's like okay, well, <laughs> he went to two other schools. He went to two schools after this, and it's like the Hawks knew what happened, knew how far it went. Probably had a conversation with him about this too, and I think this it, it just keeps making it worse because of more that comes out about it. I think this does change the view of how people are going to look at Stan Bone because it's like, yeah, you want Stan, like you helped build the Blackhawks to win cups, but you let this guy go to a university and a high school without telling him like, Hey, you know, this is what he did. We don't recommend him. It, it's a very bad look. And I think this will definitely tarnish and give a legacy to Stan Bowman. That's going to be looked at as more negatively than positive of him building a team that actually did something for a decade that's what everyone considers a dynasty because they let this happen for so long instead of stopping it because especially in the modern era because that is the big thing three cups in six years in the salary cap era because the hawks especially those first two cups just and you and i both know just unloaded i mean oh yeah chris i can go with the 2010 team dustin bufflin andrew ladd uh anti niemi 
Christopher Stieg. Like, it's a laundry list of how, like, the talented players that were had to get rid of that team because of salary cap. They turned it around. 2013 happened and had a little bit of a dump off there as well, but they quickly turned it back in 2015. Like, that's just how they were able to do it. And, you know, you mentioned the front office. It should be cleaned house just because of what this could be. Do you think there is anyone else that's been that was a part of that team? And I'm kind of pertaining to one guy here, and he is still a coach in the National Hockey League. Do you think there's anyone else that should be kind of looked upon in a lesser stature because of all this? And I guess you can probably guess it. I'm pertaining to Joel Quinville. Um, or do you think he had not? Do you think he, if he knew any of it, like he, or do you think he just was oblivious? Because Quinville seems like the kind of guy that would just kind of just not pay attention to those sort of things and I'm honestly doing so. I would, I mean, I mean, you could speculate how much he did, did or did not know. I mean, Q was pretty much focused on the team and making sure, you know, that he was running a tight ship in terms of making sure he wasn't really like a hands-on type of coach, I guess, as you look, look at how he is, it really depends on how much he knew, but in terms of, I mean, there's only so much a coach can do. You know, because, you know, he's the head coach and stuff like that. So, I mean, you can only take it to your boss and then it's your boss's, your boss and the boss's boss and up, down, up the ladder, what they do with it. So, would you look at him differently? That's, I mean, that's, that's a tough, that's tough to say because I would say you can't look at him in a negative way because the fact that, like, it is what it is, unfortunately, with the fact that it's the upper echelon that really should have done what it was needed. You're you're a head coach. There's only so much you can do. I mean, you could say you wanted to fire this guy, but management has more of a say for the fact that, you know, hey, we don't want to mess up what this run that we're on right now. And they probably like, we'll just let him go at the end of the season and be done with it. Well, unfortunately, we all know what happened. It wasn't really dealt with it now, like 11 years later. Now it's come back and it's get, it's catching up to the Blackhawks again. So I think it's for Quenville, it's you can only speculate how much you knew, but at the same time, like I re, you really can't look at Q negatively as compared to the front office of the team because, like I said, there's only so much a head coach could do in terms of getting rid of guys and how to fix the situation, if that makes sense. that Yeah, that does because – and that's why – the investigate. That's why this investigation. This investigation is not going to end like tomorrow, kids. This is going to be a thing that's going to probably carry well into the season, and may not be so. I mean, lawsuits like this they go on for years. There is still concussions and CTE cases that the National Hockey League has been figuring out for the last decade. So, if anyone's ever curious on how long this will take, it could take years. There could be another presidential election here before we have an actual answer on this whole kitten cordial, but. Uh, with that, let's move on here. Let's get on to the hockey part. We address, I, I had to get it at, at some point. I've only briefly mentioned it. I briefly mentioned when it was first reported and whatnot because none of us had all the details. And and Zach, I really appreciate you talking about this because I know it's a very sensitive subject to a lot of people and I really appreciate you helping me dive into it and getting yeah, your no take problem. on it as well. But let's get to the hockey part, the part where the, the guy's on skates and they go around and shoot the puck. Um, the, the, you know, this year's Blackhawks team, is just shaping up to be a very interesting team. I'm not going to go full scale and say, this team is going to be a cup contender in the Western Conference. No, I'm not there yet. But I said they were going to make improvements a little bit last year, and then they would be that good. I didn't think they were going to be hover around the playoff picture for as long as they did. But 
they showed signs of improvement. Obviously, Kevin Lankin was such a great breath of fresh air and goal. Now they bring in Marc-Andre Fleury, who they were able to convince to play. They bring in Seth Jones, sign him to a big old contract. Captain Sirius Jonathan Taves is back on the ice, and we obviously found out what his problem was. Good to see him healthy. Patrick Kane will still be there. Alex DeBrincat will still be there. This team is shaping up to be a very competitive hockey club and what is looking to be a very interesting and tough central division. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely interesting for sure because even last year I predicted the Hawks would finish six. I didn't think they were going to do that good. And then we saw how it was for pretty much half the season. They were on fire. They were playing really well. At one point they got up to second. I think they were first for a little bit and stuff like that. But then, of course, you know, March happened and the team kind of took a nosedive because defense started getting a little bit sloppy and the goalies kept trying to do a lot more than they needed to. And it is what it is. But, yeah, this offseason, I was really surprised. I thought, oh, okay, we're going to probably run it back with the same guys, maybe get a few additions here and there and stuff like that and keep, build- and keep work on this rebuild. Well, apparently the Blackhawks are like, no, not really. We're gonna actually just gonna now become a playoff contender in one offseason, like you said with Seth Jones, Mark Andre Fleury. Also, we also got you know Jake McCabe, Tyler Johnson right. from the Lightning, who just won back-to-back cups. So it's like they've kind of like, I guess would you say like hit the nos or like t- cranked it to like twelve of like moving this rebuild a lot faster than everyone thought it was gonna be. And it's definitely going to make it interesting because you look at Alex DeBrinke, like you said, he was on pace to score 50 goals last year if we had a normal 82-game season. Right. So there's there's talk that he might do it. He might get 50 this year, all depending on how what line he's with and how it works out and stuff like that, which I, I could see it happening. You know, having the captain back, I mean, that's huge to have Taze back. I'm glad that he's healthy and see how he's going to be and stuff like that too. Plus, you know, they re-signed Brandon Hagel. He did really well for the team last year too. Now, see what this is going to happen with Kubalik. You know, what are they going to do with Kirby Doc? Hopefully, he gets a normal full season because he hasn't had a normal season yet. Right. Because we had a shortened, a shortened 1920 season, and then we just had a half a season where he broke his wrist before World Juniors and he missed like three months of the season. So it's definitely be interesting to see what the Hawks do this year. I'm not saying, I'm like, I'm like you, I'm not saying cup contenders, but I definitely think this is a team that could be making a push for a playoffs. Now, is it a wild card? or an automatic bid in the central, I can see that because the central division for me is a really stacked division in the Western conference. All Pacific, I'm saying five teams, five teams in the central, same. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Same. Cause let's be honest. The Pacific is not a tough division. If you look past Vegas and maybe a couple other teams in that division, Edmonton, the, Vancouver, yeah. Vancouver may be the third best team in that, that division. That's how bad it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad because you look because you look at the California teams. I think the Kings are probably the best out of California, and that's pretty much about it. And of course, you know, you see with Seattle, with the most, it's the most anemic off season in terms of a draft and a free agency and the expansion draft I've ever seen. So yeah, basically right now I think the Blackhawks have a good shot of making of making a wild card spot out of the Central, and I think five teams, like you said are going to get in it's just what where are they going to finish in terms of that wild card or are they going to get inside like that top three so it really depends but i do think this blackhawks team is definitely a lot better than they were last year with all the additions that they had you know like i said with seth jones jake mccabe and all these other guys so i'm really excited to see what the blackhawks do this year it's definitely gonna make this year an interesting year for them compared to what it could have been with 
running the same team back from last year. Because I, it's so funny how they, I don't say that they, they missed the playoffs last year after 2020 because they had to win a play-in round, but they beat the Oilers to go into the play-in round. And they, while they did get beat pretty handily by Vegas, it wasn't like it was an easy series for the Golden Knights in the bubble in 2020. But now you look at this team, they have, I mean, you mentioned Dominic Kubelik, who was a Calder candidate. They bring in Tyler Johnson, who I, maybe it's just because they both played for Tampa and Chicago. I'm getting full Chris Kunitz vibes here. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> um, but like I said, you know, Kane and Taves are there because to bring Kane, he played a lot with Kane last year, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He played a good majority with uh, with Kane. And then there was either they were centered by Dylan Strom or uh, Kirby Dockett certain points of the season, but yeah, Dabrinkit and Kane are basically like, I would, I would say probably a better man's version of what Pernier and Kane were because Dabrinkit and Kane together, those two are lethal on the lines. I mean, Antonio Panarin's good. I think he's a really good player, but I think you see more of a good chemistry between Dabrinkit and uh, Kane in terms of scoring opportunities for both guys. Yeah. And that's going to be a, and he, and Dabrinkit has always been, a excellent goal scorer. We saw that in junior hockey. And we, the only thing that he ever got knocked was, oh, he's too small to play in the NHL. Well, you know what? He's doing pretty good, I like to think. Like, yeah. they, and of course, in the back end, Seth Jones gets to play with his brother, Caleb. You have Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan, a good veteran presence there. And you have Jake McCabe. And Jake McCabe is coming from a Buffalo team that is just, pfft, I don't even know what to do with Buffalo. <laughs> but I, I'm really interested to see McCabe, though, because McCabe has always shown signs of being a good defenseman. That's why I'm really excited to watch Philadelphia because they have Rasmus versus the line in. Seeing him play on a, a quality team. Jake McCabe's never had that in Buffalo. I think he's going to get some good time here. He'll definitely be a top four unless, you know, something were to happen. But I think this is a defense core in Chicago that's probably the best, dare I say it, since 15. Zach, you can probably correct me on that if you want. Uh, actually, honestly, that's probably the best I can. I agree with you on that one because outside of that, it's been Seabrook, who's kind of in the back end of his career. Now we know now he's technically in Tampa now because they got they traded his contract, but he's somewhere also retired. So it's it's a whole situation. But then they trade Duncan Keith, and he was basically like their kind of like their best defenseman. I mean, we had Ole Amada at one point that didn't really work out. So Dorov. I don't even want to. I, I try. I want to. I want to forget that we had Nikita Zadorov for a season. I'm glad that kind of ended fast. But yeah, I think this is probably the best looking defense core that we've had in a long time. Is the fact that, like you said, you have Jake McCabe who could probably slot on the second pairing with Calvin DeHaan. You're gonna have a top line of Seth Jones and Connor Murphy. And the fact that we also have like you know Mike Hardman, Wyatt Kalinuk, you know Campbell, uh, Ian Campbell. We also got you know a bunch of other guys too. It's like Nicholas Bodin, like the the defense is so deep, but the fact we have a bunch of young guys and the fact that now they've kind of upgraded with veteran presence too. It's, it's a good feeling knowing that this defensive core has gotten better compared to what it was kind of last year with a bunch of new guys and probably the years before that too, because the defense has been, has been a massive issue for the Blackhawks. I think the last like two years, we've had like the worst defense in terms of, creating chances for the other team to have high danger chances to score goals. And our goalies have gotten lit up the last couple of years. So now at one more structured defensive defense is going to be able to help the goalies out and help the offense out and becoming more lethal. I think we're in a good spot now with where this defense is at. 
Yeah, because that's why we got to see so many Kevin Lankinen highlights last year. Not just because they were great saves, but because you had about 25 great saves a game, it seemed like. Yeah, you know, yeah pretty much, yeah. And, and, you know, and I love Kevin Lankinen. I love the story. But Marc-Andre Fleury coming in, you know, it's it's so funny because when the, when the trade happened, I said to myself, this is clearly a cap dump by Vegas. And I, I understood. I understand the business side of things, even though literally it was just – Another sword in the back of Mark Andre Fleury, part due. But and then he said he wasn't going to play it. I'm like, okay. And that's why I thought Stan Bowman did the right move here. Didn't give up a whole lot. Didn't you know give up draft picks to buy a goaltender? It was all right. They want to get rid of contract space. We'll take them. You get nothing though. Perfect. I mean, they obviously gave up a little bit, but not. It wasn't a full scale uh, Shane Gosses bear trade, as we. Uh, <laughs> but that's yeah, no. a, that, that's a story for another time. Yet, here we are seeing Marc-Andre Fleur coming back and playing. And obviously, he does give a rat's behind a little bit, kids, because we saw the – if anyone hasn't seen it yet, I know it's on Cannon Tomahawk's pod uh, on Twitter. It's also swirkling around. Marc-Andre Fleury diving around in his net, looking like Marc-Andre Fleury. This guy wants to come back, and he's going to come back and play. That in itself is good to see if you're Chicago because now you know you have an established number one goaltender – whether he is on the back nine of his career, even though he just won the Vesna Trophy, he can, A, be your number one guy, but also help prepare the younger goaltenders, Kevin Lankin in particular, to be to breed them to becoming a number one guy. Because since Marc-Andre Fleury is older, you can't expect him to start 65 games. You're going to see Lankin in quite a bit as well in Chicago, and that's why this having Fleury in net with the Hawks could be beneficial for not just this year, but the future in net as well. Yeah, no, definitely, because I wrote about it uh, probably about a couple weeks ago, looking at the five takes for the Blackhawks this upcoming season. I even mentioned that, too, that for the fact that having him in net is a huge is a huge deal because, yeah, he's $7 million, but that's $7 million in a goalie who won his first Vesna, which is insane to think of for the fact of how long he's played in the league. This is like, this will be his 18th season in the league. This is his first Gosh. Vesna. If that really tells you something, how long he's been here, how long it took him to win one. And for the fact that, you know, he's a three-time cup champion and a whole bunch of other stuff and having him is huge. And I think it's definitely beneficial for Kevin Lankin and Colin Delia and a bunch of all these other guys that the Hawks have in their system that you, know, you get to learn from a pro's pro and probably one of the nicest guys in the league. I mean, oh, yeah. name one person that doesn't like Mark Andre Fleur. I think the list is pretty much on one hand or just two fingers. Nicholas Lidstrom. <laughs> probably, yes. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, having flower on this team is is such a huge boost for the Blackhawks because outside of Corey Crawford, whenever he was here with the Blackhawks, there, there was really no solid goaltending. And, you know, they had Robin Leonard. Unfortunately, that only lasted for half a season, which kind of stunk because I really like Robin Leonard. He's probably one of my favorite non-Blackhawks on any team. So losing him and then, you know, letting Crawford walk at the end of the season, it was kind of like, okay, now you have Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia and an unknown Kevin Lincoln at the time, unless you're a, you know, a fan of the Finnish national team and knew what Kevin Lincoln did at the world championships. Right. You didn't know, you didn't know what we we're going to be looking at. And then, you know, Colin, you know, then Lincoln comes out of nowhere, blows the doors off the place. And ha- at one point was a Calder, you know, in can like in talks with winning the Calder, but again, you know, Mark Andrew Fleury. Now this is a huge step up for the Blackhawks is you take in, probably a really solid option at goalie and you made it to an, a great situation now with a guy who's been there and done that for multiple seasons in his career. So it's definitely a big boost for the Blackhawks to make them a legit playoff contender that could make a deep playoff run. So how far we get, 
I guess it really depends on once we actually get there, but it's it's good to see that the Hawks did something to address something that's going to make them a better team now and for the future. Yeah, because you know, going into looking at this Central Division, and for those, like I said, who've been listening and watching the podcast here for the past, past few weeks, we have pretty much broken down the Central Division to a T. And last year, Chicago did not have to face Colorado. How do, like, because that's going to be, I, I don't think, I don't think anyone's doubting that Colorado is pretty much the favorite, at least at this point, even with Darcy Kemper taking over for Philip Grubauer, that that's going to be the team to finish top of this central division. I don't think anyone's really questioning that. It's how it goes down the rest of the way. How would you say right now, if Chicago and Colorado are able to play today, even with Gabe Landeskog, almost seemed like he was going to have a fallout with the franchise. How do you think those two match up at this moment? Because it seems like that's going to be the measuring stick for all these teams in this division. I think it's, yeah, Colorado is just top to bottom. I mean, do you take out their playoff woes of the second round? I mean, it is a pretty stacked team. Like I said, you have, you know, Rantanen, McKinnon, you know, Cal McCarr, you know, all these other guys, Landis Cog. It's definitely a team to, I think it's probably going to be a, it's a clear favorite to win the Central. I think the Blackhawks do have a chance to, you know, give them a good fight, depending on how, like, how the season goes. I would say that it's probably going to be leaning more towards Colorado in terms of more wins between the two teams matching up. I definitely, I think it's a, the Hawks could give Colorado a run for their money in terms of if you give the Blackhawks enough of a chance, they could do something about it. It's just they got to play pretty much not flawless, but close to it hockey to beat the beat the avalanche. But I do think the Blackhawks do have a, have what it takes to make a case to giving them a hard time compared to, let's say, Minnesota and St. Louis and Winnipeg. Right. And this it's that's what makes last year such an anomaly because, oh, yeah, totally. The Colorado Avalanche going to beat up everybody in Minnesota. I don't know how they played well against Colorado, but like last year was so weird. You have to almost have to throw it out the door. Also, just because yeah. of all the movement going around. But hey, if you know Chicago gets outplayed by Colorado, they have Fleur, they have Flurry back there, who just thrives on that sort of thing. Yeah. But you know, looking at this division as a whole, outside of Colorado, you have Dallas, who I think, with if if Hugh Dobin can stay healthy and fresh, and even if Jake Ottendrask in a few games, you have Braden Holtby there, who's a veteran goaltender. They still have Haskin, and they still have all this good veteran talent mixed with young talent. And if they just don't have any COVID problems like they did last year, I think you can get some consistency in that team. That team actually really makes it run at the playoffs. There is Nashville and a Peyton Turner. If you're still watching, I do apologize. We've gone over this. Nashville's probably taking a dip this year. But then there is St. Louis, who's going to probably take a dip as well. Minnesota, I think, is still going to be good. But now Winnipeg's back in the fray. Like I said, I'm like there's going to be five teams in the Central Division making the playoffs. But as we pertained to earlier, it just how the order's going to go two through five is just, that's the big question in all this. And that's going to, where we're going to have to see, wait to see to play out. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely going to be an interesting case how, like at the, how the season goes on, because like you said, two through five, you're going to be looking at a whole teams are going to be different spots throughout the season, depending on how the matchups go with the, against each other and the rest of the league. So I could, you could definitely see a lot of shuffling as the season goes on. But yeah, the central is just so deep that, anyone can get hot. I mean, we saw Nashville last year. They were kind of dead in the water for most of the season. All of a sudden, like a month left in the year, they remember how to play hockey again and make the playoffs. No, no, they didn't remember how to play hockey. UC Saros just became godly like goaltending. That's what happened. Okay. Okay. Larry, that's, 
that's fair. We'll, we'll just say that UC Soros decided just to become like Patrick Wall on steroids. And there just you are. Just to stop everyone and somehow that just worked out. It is what it is. But I, I, I just don't see Nashville as a powerhouse team because they still can't figure out the power play. And they still, outside of Soros, they don't know really what's going on with that. St. Louis, I think they're going to take a dip. Not, they're not as good as people think they are. I think they're just kind of playing out of, they play a little bit out of their minds at some points. But Jordan Bennington has clearly shown that he was kind of like a half-season fluke wonder. Uh, he, he looked like a sieve through a lot of these games, and clearly his frustration got the best of him because he wants to fight backup goalies, which made absolute no I still sense. think I still think Doobie takes him. Dubnik, oh, oh, oh 100%. Yeah, yeah, if you give Dubnik a chance, yeah, I think he'd probably drop him in about five seconds. But it's just – it's Jordan Bankton's clearly shown that if you get to him, he's just going to fall apart. So I guess he is pretty nervous, but – Minnesota it depends on what's going on with Kaprizov because if you know he might be leaving for the KHL, if that's I don't know, I don't know how the full details of that's still going on. But everyone's still confident. They're like, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And I'm like, are you guys trying to talk it into existence, or are you just is it blind optimism? I mean, I hope he signs because he's a great player. I love watching him play. But boy, yeah. if he doesn't, Minnesota may be in trouble. Yeah, and like you said, Dallas could do something if they stay healthy. That's only because if they you know get a lot of injuries, I think that's not really a deep team. That if you lose two, three, four guys, then you're probably looking at a a 500 team compared to a team that could easily make the playoffs. So like you said, with Winnipeg too, it all really depends. So I think I think the Blackhawks do make the playoffs. I see them maybe taking a three spot in the Central Division. It all just comes down to what's going to happen with Nashville, Winnipeg, St. Louis, and Dallas you know, for the other spots as well. Obviously, I think Colorado's going to win the division is what it is, but I think the Blackhawks do have a shot for at least third in this division, in my opinion. I I would definitely say that's a good possibility this year. And then, hey, you never know, Zach. They may play Colorado, and then Patrick Kane can tell Nathan McKinnon or Darcy Kemper that it's their three Stanley Cup rings that are plugging their ears and... I, I don't know what other body part they want to cover with those things, but that that's how it all worked for them <laughs> with yeah, the Chicago yeah. Blackhawks. For sure, yeah. Dangle from they have some earrings or something, or you know, have like you know, being trying to make it into a grill in his mouth or something. I don't know, but either way, it'll be nice for you know the the Blackhawks to do something because obviously they can show up when it kind of matters most, especially like you said with Edmonton a couple of years back. So, all really depends. But honestly, I'm just really excited for this team. It, it's taken me. I've gone from uh, we'll see how the season goes to all right. Well, this actually might be a fun season to watch this team. So it feels good knowing that where the Blackhawks are at right now. And I guess we'll end on this, and I want to. We won't go too far. We won't try to look too far ahead with the Blackhawks here, but just because of how you know me being a Leafs fan, they this team went from a oh we're gonna rebuild, we're gonna rebuild first overall pick Austin Matthews, Marner, Nylander. They make the playoffs, and it's like that's it, we're going for it, kids. <laughs> but now here we are, four years later, and Kyle Dubas is threatening to blow everything up. If do you think that the that Stan Bowman come trade deadline, the Hawks are third or second? Is Stan Bowman going? All right, let's get some. Like, is he a buyer at the deadline, or is he gonna play with house money? Given that the fact that a Mark Andre Fleury is older, Calvin DeHaan's older, and the fact that you're gonna have to pay Seth Jones for a few more years after this season. If the Blackhawks are second and third and it look like a team that actually can do something, I do see Stan Bowman being like, all right, well, it's kind of time to go on because we saw it back in 15. They got Antoine Vermette. You know, they've there's been years where they actually went and got guys. Like, you know, they got Brad Richards at one point for another uh, for one of the other seasons too. So, I mean, they Timo have Timonen, got, yeah, that's another one. 
Yeah, exactly. They've gone and gotten guys at the deadline if they knew they had a good shot of making the play. If they were going to make the playoffs, they had probably a good chance for a run. If they're second and third, if they're second or third and have shown signs that they've been a consistent team that's going to be winning game in and game out and not going like two, like winning one, losing one, or winning two, losing two, if they actually do a lot more winning than they do losing, I can see Bowman maybe pulling a trigger on a move that's going to make this Hawks team go for it now. Mark Andre Fleury's contract is at the end of the season, so I guess he's. I guess it all really depends on how that goes. But in terms of the other guys like Seth Jones, if they find a way to make the cap work, I think Stan Bowman might make a push to go get guys, and maybe do something. Like I said, it all depends on where they're at and how they've how they've played throughout most of the season up to that point. So if they win more than they lose by a good margin, I could definitely see Bowman doing something at the trade deadline to maybe make that next push to be a cup contender rather than. We're making a playoff and maybe doing a semi-decent run in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I'm sure Stan Bowman, he's 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 no stranger to just completely, you know, disassembling a team after a Stanley Cup. So I guess if you win the big silver thing at the end of the year, who cares who's on the team next year? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's there's some years where it's been interesting. You know, we talked about, you know, 13 and 15. I mean, heck, the Hawks were one weird bounce off of Nick Letty away from maybe doing a three-peat back in 14 when they lost to the Kings. Justin or, Williams, game seven. Uh, yep. Thank you, Alec Martinez, for that shot from the point. That's another thing I remember. And then, of course, like a 2011, could have happened differently with the Canucks. So it is what it is. But, yeah, it, it's I guess all the season where we're going to be looking at, at the trade deadline this year. But, I mean, like I said, overall, I'm really excited to see what's next for the Hawks this year. And I guarantee we just lost all of our Vancouver fans because all they're doing now is they're getting off this feed and they're going to go on YouTube and watch <laughs> that goal by, oh man, by Burroughs and seeing Jim Houston go screaming. Because, oh of course, Jim Houston's such a biased broadcaster when he broadcasts for Vancouver. Uh, uh, let, let's, yeah, let's not talk about Boston and their uh, Homer, uh, Homer announcers. But the <laughs> I have had my way with Jack Edwards for the last four years. I'm a, I'm a play-by-play guy myself, Zach, and I can tell you right now, He's not one that I try to emulate myself after. Yeah, that's um, that's SEC yeah, football there. Yeah, if yeah, if you uh, if you're not a big Bruins fan, yeah, that's probably one guy you really don't want to hear calling games for forever, basically. Oh man, I tell you. Well, I, hey, Chicago, you guys have a pretty good guy there, Mr. Pat Foley, former Grand Rapids Owls broadcaster from back in the late '70s. For those that don't know, a little hockey tidbit for you. Uh, Zach, of course, like we mentioned, we're here with Zach, co-host of the Cannon and Tomahawks podcast on Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. We see on the Twitter feed, coming season two coming soon. Zach, when is season two coming soon? Well, we are going to be, um, you know, we're in the middle of kind of a rebrand right now. We are going to get a new name, new logo, because we're taking this to the next step. We're going more abroad, around, not just Well, why are we even called Kansas Tom? It's show <laughs> ABC is here. On- <laughs> <laughs> no, we are still Kansas Tomahawks right for right now. But, yeah, so we're looking at, we're doing a name announcement probably, uh, probably September 1st, September 4th-ish. But then October 4th, we're going to the actual, the full name change. So we're really excited about that. So October 4th is officially going to be the start of season two for the podcast. So we're, we're really excited for White Sox. And we're doing NHL, AHL, all the way through the ECHL. We're even doing the Canadian Hockey League. And we're doing t- uh, leagues in Europe, too, just to, you know, covering them as well. So we're going full hockey on uh, our podcast, not just the, 
not just the NHL, but pretty much everywhere. That's going to be awesome because I, I, we try to do as much as we can here. Obviously, we like to talk about the women's worlds, but boy, going all out, going full international, that is going to be awesome. You can follow them for now on Twitter at Cannon Hawk Pod, <laughs> Pod. That'll obviously change soon, but follow them now so that you don't have to worry about trying to follow them later on. But of course, then again, you will see their awesome name everywhere on the Belly Up Sports Network. We've been chatting here with Zach Martin. Zach, thanks again for coming on, talking about the Hawks, both the good and the bad. And we'll definitely talk to you guys soon, whatever show you guys are called, about the awesome stuff you guys talk about and definitely talk Black Hawks later on. Thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you, Tyler, so much, man. I appreciate the uh, the invite. And, you know, I've enjoyed being on your show, man. I'm really um like I said, just really appreciate it. And I hope you for the best, too, because you guys do a really good job over what you do. So nothing uh, but the best for you, man. Thanks again, Zach. And we'll be back with more of the Kula Show right after this. And welcome back to the Kula Show, everyone. Wrapping up here this Monday night edition of the Kula Show. By the way, to all the folks out there that were in the YouTube chat, I do really apologize that I was not monitoring that well enough uh dad of course jumping in there as well uh james lil asking about point spread for college football uh, i can take a guess for you but i'm not the best at that sort of thing uh i know nebraska's playing illinois so take the under if you really want to go into that uh, shout out to cooper weinthaler for talking about that yesterday when he came stop by here um also like i said peyton turner was on as well good old preds fan who is scarred by the 2011 series it's okay peyton it's okay. Uh, wrapping up here today's show, let's get into the Women's World Championship conversation. It started last Friday. Yeah, last Friday was the first set of games. Trust me, guys, when, you, when the way things have been, I know it's still technically the summer and technically the offseason, but for some of us that cover other sports, uh, it's been going on pretty hard for a while. Um, I'm still covering the Little League World Series for MLive and Obviously, we have NFL starting up here, and then college football starts next Saturday, actually, is week zero, as James Lowe, as you've seen in the YouTube chat section mentioning. Like I said, just for the first week of football, if it's two competitive games, pick the under or pick uh, pick the cover, not cover the spread, but if it's like Bama versus Alabama A&M, 100%, go the over, whatever that may be. Uh <laughs> So with that, let's, like I said, let's get into the Women's Worlds page here. A lot of great action already. Now, yes, the favorites are very apparent. United States and Canada. That game coming up the 26th, in just a few days, is going to be, it's shaping up to be the matchup. The game of preliminary action right now. There have been a couple good games, though. Let's kind of run through here the highlights, if you will. Like I said, right now the checks are up on Japan, 3-0 at the end, excuse me, at the end of two periods. And they've been playing really well, have the checks. Checks, of course, like when you talk with Dan Rice last week, they were our picks to finish atop of this group, right behind Germany. Checks right now are two are going to be 3-0 and if they can hold on to this lead. They beat Denmark 6-1. to one. Denmark's had a real rough go of it, guys, as of late, as, or excuse me, as this tournament's gotten on. But Czech Republic started off strong. Alina Mills gets a hat trick, four points in the 6-1 win. That was the very first game of the tournament. Uh, Pavlina Horlikova also had four assists. Vindula Pribilova, Pribilova with a goal and an assist as well. A little bit of an interesting game in that 
in that second game against Hungary. By the way, shots on goal right now between Japan and Czech Republic. Japan actually outshot the Czechs, despite falling behind one nothing. Outshot them 12-4 to in the first period. The Czechs now are starting to take over, and shots were 9-2 in period two as we get ready for this second period. By the way, TSN is doing an amazing job here. They are getting a lot of younger talent for this event. Uh, they have Kenzie Lalong calling the game right now for TSN. I've obviously not listening to her right now, but she's done a couple of really good games, a good job calling games for TSN for the Women's Worlds. And I've said this before. We'll get back to the Czech Republic here in a minute. I, as much, this is going to sound very bad, and I've said it to a lot of people before, and my wife actually agrees with me when I say this. I don't want to call women's hockey. And I think I've said this on the show before, but I'm going to say it again for those that are just tuning in. I don't want to call women's hockey because there are so many other women out there that deserve that chance to call hockey. Now, that's not saying that women should only call women's hockey, men should call men. Trust me, like I said, Leah Hextall is going to be working for ESPN next year as a full-time play-by-play gal. Totally deserves it. But what I'm saying is I feel like I'd be taking an opportunity away from someone else. That's the right take on it. If that sounds bad, I'm sorry, but that's how I feel about it. I feel like someone should be allowed to call these games because they are outstanding. There's so many outstanding female talents that don't get the shot because maybe because the, as we mentioned with we're talking about Brad Aldridge there with Zach Martin just before the break, that there is that old school hockey mentality. So if, if I can, if I give up an opportunity to give someone else an opportunity that typically wouldn't, I'm totally okay with that. That said, back to hockey here, back to the action. They beat Hungary 4-2, to two, and the game itself was really weird. Czechs brutally outshoot the Hungarians. I, uh, I, oh, gosh, I forgot the exact number. Let me look it up quickly here for you, kids. The IHF website, as very bland as it is, actually is very good in terms of getting good content. TSN.ca is also really good because, obviously, they cover the event. They broadcast the event. They have good stuff. And I'm pretty sure I hear my dog chasing a ball around because I hear her pounding her feet outside the door. They hungry outshot was outshot by the Czechs 36 to 13. However, shots in the third period were much closer. They were only 13 to 7. Hungary actually, I believe it as well, actually outplayed the Czechs in the second period. It was a little bit closer in the third period. But Czechs go up 4 nothing and seem like it's all but over. Hungary, once again, getting shut out. Rough go for Hungary. Like I said, this is their first ever tournament in the top tier, in the top division of the World Championships. But then they do this weird thing where they start to come back around and they start playing well. And next thing you know, bang, they get a goal. Uh, NWHL draftees, by the way, Czechs just scored again. We'll get to their scores here in just a minute. NWHL draftees that we talked with Dan Rice, uh, Fenis Gasparic and Rika Dabasi both scoring the goals. Gasparic getting, or Dabasi getting the first goal for Hungary ever in the top tier of the world championships. Make it four to two. And they, here's the thing, too. There were, it was a very penalty filled third period. Hungary had a lot of chances there towards the end to see, uh, to find a way to tie the game. The Czechs caught themselves into trouble. And that's why I think you see them here playing a lot better after that slow first period because they realize if they want to be a contender getting into the elimination, the knockout rounds, they have to play better. Now, granted, they're going to have to face someone from this group A that's looking really tough, really tough. But they are, I think they got a little bit of a shot in the arm after dominating that first game. 6-1, easy win for the Danish team. It was not that hard for them. They got it done. But then Hungary started to play tough and give give themselves a shot 
And I think that kind of caught the checks by surprise. And you see that now in this game, they're playing a lot stronger after getting, like I said, outplayed in this first period against Japan. Japan, who's, we'll get to their game. They do have a win to their record. I think they're a pretty good team as well, despite what their record might show. They are probably the team that's going to probably finish fourth out of Group B here. By the way, the goal scorers for the Czechs in this one, up 4-0, like I said. Uh, Dominika Leskova scored in the first period. Naomi Nubarova scored in the second period. Elena Mills, her fourth of the tournament, later on, just past the halfway mark of the hockey game, and just scoring there, Katarina Mazrova, who I believe that is her second as well, if I am not mistaken. I can't click her name. Uh, where's my numbers on here? I think so. Should have been? No, maybe not. No, yeah, Chris, uh, no, it was not. Pribilova uh, scored her second in the game against Hungary. It was a pretty-looking goal, too. Nice little move. Looked like the uh, Yarmer Yager goal he scored against Mike Richter a few years back. Man, I'm getting a lot of a lot of notifications here during the show. Good Lord, I feel my phone vibrate during the interviews. I'm like, I'm not going to let myself be distracted here. Uh, so, yeah, Czechs are right now looking to be going 3-0. Germany 2-0 after winning today. They beat Hungary in game one, only 3 nothing, but... It was very lopsided, the shots. were Actually, no, they were not. They were lopsided one period, but Hungary actually played a very tight game against them. Uh, Nina Kristoff, first ever game in the top tier for the German national team for the Women's World Championships. Nina Kristoff, two goals in the first period. Julia Zorn sealing it in the third. 19 save shot up for Jennifer Haas. Haas plays well in game two earlier today against Denmark. 3-1 win, 21 saves for Haas. 23 saves for Cassandra Repstock-Rome, who played pretty well for Denmark. And Denmark has... You know, maybe it's just because I see Frederick Anderson. They find a way to produce interesting talent, like just talented players that you wouldn't expect because Denmark is, you know, typically known as a, a football nation, a soccer nation. But, they, you know, they're, they always seem to be competitive at some points during world tournaments, and I love to see them every chance we get. Uh, Josephine Jacobson scoring the goal for Denmark today. Julia Zorn scoring her second. Julie Schaefer and Teresa Wagner, the other goal scorers for Germany in their 3-1 win moving over i guess the surprise if you will here in group b or group a japan by the way beat denmark one nothing 26 save shout out for nana fujimoto and haraku yamashita got the lone goal in that game right now japan still getting shut out uh, actually let's stick on group b for a second they were showing fujimoto during the game, I was this when we we're talking with zach martin they were showing her how she gets ready and how she was actually training during the pandemic she attached VR, the VR toggles or the controllers to her blocker and glove. And she had vision show and she would track. That's how she would like during the pandemic, she would practice. She'd be in her room and, you know, she'd be set gold you know, blocker and glove watching the shot come in with a stick to watch shot glove side, glove side, blocker side. And I'm like that right there. Like you talk about evolution in training off ice training and there's always there is the the hockey minds software that I've seen that came out when I was that was very brand new, very beta when I was playing. And now seeing this with virtual reality and showing folks that video games do actually help you get better. Now, granted, that's nowadays not, you know, when I was playing, I can't say my NHL 2004 Dynasty mode was getting me any better for you know being a goaltender but that's not here nor there the past is in the past i'm not pointing fingers at anybody except for me but 
it was really interesting to see that. So Japan looking to fall to one and one here if they are not able to pull something crazy out of it here. They play tomorrow as well. They'll be taking on Hungary, a chance for Japan to get a win, or chance for Hungary to get a win. Wouldn't that be interesting? And that's what makes the Hungary-Denmark game coming up here on third, no, on Wednesday very intriguing because, say, Hungary loses tomorrow to Japan, all of a sudden that game, whoever wins that game, moves on to the knockout stage. So that can be a really interesting one on Wednesday. Germany's next game, they play on Wednesday as well. They'll be taking on the Czech Republic, looking to improve to 3-0. They play the Czechs, and then they play they play Wednesday, Thursday. They have Japan on Thursday to wrap up their pool play. Denmark, after falling today, they are back at it on Wednesday as well against Hungary, looking for at least one win after losing to Germany and the Czechs and Japan. Going over to Group A now. Yes, it has the two powerhouses in it. Both 2-0 are Canada and the United States. Canada had a very funny game against the Finns. They fall behind, fall behind 2-0, by the way, to the Finns in the first period. Storm back with three unanswered. Finland ties it up shortly after Canada did, after Canada took the lead early in the third period. Finland scores to tie it up 3-3. And then all of a sudden, before anyone blinks an eye, 20 or 25 seconds later, Sarah Fillier scores, and it's 4-3. Brian Jenner ices the game in there at the end. Canada wins 5-3 despite outshooting the Finns by a 44-11 margin. Go to game two for Canada, take on Russia. Russia and Canada, long-time historic rivalry in hockey. Well, it's obviously a little bit less in the women's game because Canada's dominance. Cooper was here last night watching the game with us, Cooper Weinthaler, and he was trying to figure out what the heck was going on because, oh my goodness, guys, Morozova, Nadezhda Morozova, I'm pretty sure I said her first name wrong again. I apologize. I, I practiced it earlier, but I think I just messed it up. But Morozova was, like, just super sorry. It looked like Vladislav Tretiak was in net for the Russians. The Russian Olympic Committee, excuse me. I don't I don't know exactly how many saves she has because the IHF doesn't have it on here, her exact stats, but she was really good. She made so many big saves. The first half of the game, 0-0 through 25 minutes, and it seemed like that's how it was going to be for a long time. But then Canada finally broke through. Philia scoring her second of the tournament. And Canada was off and running. They ended up out shooting, I believe, 62-7 to were the shots in favor of Canada. Let me make sure I got that right. Yep, 62-7. to Russia did get a goal in the dying seconds. I think it was like the 20 or 19... 19- 59 mark uh, Olga Sassina uh, scoring the lone goal there for Russia but boy Canada I, I was nervous going to that Finn game the Finland game for Canada just because I didn't know how Canada was going to come out because don't forget Finland had been playing they their women's league had been playing Russia had been playing quite a few games as well Canada they had the one dream gap tour weekend and that was it that they really hadn't, because of all the restrictions and problems in Canada with, during this pandemic, they'd hardly been able to touch the ice. So you thought, all right, how are they going to be able to come out? Are they going to come out flat? They have come out guns a-blazing. They have been hammering. And whether you want to say it's home ice advantage in favor or not, they have been playing dominant hockey over the first two games. So 
kind of curious to see how it goes against them when they play the Swiss tomorrow. The Swiss, surprisingly enough, 0 and 2. They fall, and they're going to be in some deep doo doo because, as far as we know, we don't know the status on Alina Mueller. They lose in the first game to the United States, despite a heroic effort by goaltender Andrea Brand- uh, Brandley. 55 saves. Brianna Decker and Kendall Coyne Schofield each scoring in the game for the United States. Uh, Grace Zemwinki as well. Or Zem- Zemwinki, yeah, Zemwinki. Then they beat, uh, USM beat Finland 3 0. Hillary Knight scoring her 44th goal, which ties her with Cami Granado, by the way, for the most in Women's World Championship history. So one more for her. She'll be staying alone with Hillary Knight. Uh, Zumwinki and Kelly Panic scoring. Zumwinki scoring her second. That's why the Americans are 2-0. But the Swiss are 0-2, and they lost to the U.S., and they lose 3-1 to Russia. Lena Mueller scores first in the first period. Swiss are off and running. You think, all right, perfect. This is their game to win. Give them a shoe into the knockout stages. And then disaster early on in the second period. Lena Mueller goes off with an ankle injury. It does not look good, kids. And if she doesn't come back, we talked with Dan Rice last week about her. Really good player. Probably the best player on this Swiss roster. If she doesn't come back, there could be problems. Because I don't know if Switzerland's good enough to beat the Finns. I don't know if Switzerland's good enough to make it i don't think they're i it's gonna be really tough i don't think uh, it's so hard to look at them because i don't know if they can beat the Finns, and they play canada tomorrow that is not going to be an easy time and that you know at this point that finland game is the must win because the way canada's playing it's not going to be easy for the swiss so as a quick jump on over here to the standings can i do that quickly enough yes i can oh dang it didn't click it right i clicked the stats instead Let's go to standings. Here we go. As of right now, Canada, six points with two wins. Same for the Americans, both 2-0. and oh. Russia is 1-1 one and one with a loss, so they have three points. Because remember, international hockey, they got it right. Three-point system. Finland and the Swiss, both 0-2. Oh now, granted, Finland played Canada in the United States. They got their two tough opponents right out of the way. They will be playing, so I jump back over to the schedule here. Russia Tomorrow is U.S. and Russia. Not going to be an easy game for the Russians. Swiss and Canada. And then the Group B matchup, as mentioned before, Japan and Hungary. Then on Wednesday, Russia gets Finland, which, I, I mean, you're almost praying that if you're Finland, you get that win because then you don't, have to worry about, you don't have to have pressure going into that last game against Switzerland, which will be on Thursday. And then the other game on Wednesday, Denmark-Hungary, both those Group B matches. The big one, of course, is U.S. and Canada on Thursday. It is the most prime time possible game. It's a four o'clock local time start in Calgary, six o'clock here, because they don't want the nine thirty start time. Because everyone knows Eastern Seaboard's where it's at, kids. That will be the big game, and that you know, I I'm not saying my my mind has completely changed on Canada because I'm still nervous. Of, will fatigue get to them? As you go into the later rounds, because they do have to play a quarterfinal game, have to play a semifinal game, have to play a gold medal game, if they want to win the whole kit and caboodle. You're probably going to have to meet the Czechs. Oh, Japan almost just scored as the goaltender gave the puck up. I had a Ty Conklin flashback there for you. But it's not going to be easy for them to get through this if they want to win. I, anyone who's not picking the Americans still are loonies. And that's not a knock on Canadian currency. That's, it, it's hard to not pick the Americans right now. 
that's why I think that game is going to be a real, real talking point of who is the favorite to win this whole thing. Now, I'm not saying Germany's has no chance. I'm not saying the Czechs have no chance. But right now, Canada and U.S. are the front runners. I would say to be playing in the in the final game because I'm not sure how the bracket would work if both teams went four and zero. I'm not sure how the bracket would or well. Pardon me. One team would go four and zero. The other would go three and one or three zero and one, whatever it may be. I don't know exactly how the bracket would work if they'd ever play each other before the gold medal game. So there is a lot to be excited about, a lot to be intrigued about. I don't know who's going to win this thing on Thursday. I would still have faith in the Americans winning, but I would still also pick Americans to win this whole thing. Now, granted, hockey is a very weird and dumb sport, so anything is possible. The Czechs may be in the gold medal game against whomever may be the other team from Group A. So then again, we could have a weird set of circumstances. It could be the Czechs and Germans in the final. Who knows? Welcome to hockey, kids, where the stupid happens and we all have to accept and nod our heads and keep going. Except if, you know, if you're Brad Aldrich and the Chicago Blackhawks, in that case, you should be saying something. But that's neither here nor there. We already went over that. We talked about that with Zach Martin, which, by the way, if you missed that interview with Zach Martin or if you missed that interview with Louis Pinot at the top of the show, it's okay. Don't panic. Watch the replay tomorrow on the QL Show YouTube channel and on your, or you can listen to it as well on your favorite podcatcher. Listen to us, listen to me and Zach and Lewis talk about hockey and listen to me blabber on about other things. They had some good stuff to talk about. They always do. Me, I'm just happy to be here on the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. But that is it for this one because kind of ran out of stuff to talk about today. And next week we'll come back. I don't know with who or with what, but we will be back next week as we get closer to the preseason. September 25th is the first slate of games for the preseason. I'm excited course excited to get with the world championships here who takes home the gold medal we will actually let's see what let me just look ahead here because next show will be the 30th we'll be talking ooh semifinals ooh that's gonna be fun semifinals will be on the 30th one game will be at two o'clock three o'clock eastern time the other will be played at seven o'clock eastern time so we'll be right in the middle of our show when the second semifinal happens after that, the gold medal game, I believe, is to be played on, yeah, going to be on the 31st on that Tuesday at 7, yeah, 7.30 puck drop. I had to make sure I looked at that right. I'm like, 730? yep, 7.30 puck drop, Eastern time, 5.30 local time next Tuesday. And, of course, there is the, I believe, because there's also another game that day, the winner of 25, 26, I believe, is it? I don't know. Is that is there a oh there is the um, placement games the for the bottom two teams in each the qualification games to stay alive the reg the relegation games yes which I'll be honest can be just as fun to watch obviously a lot less at stake but those two teams are playing for their tournament bids for next year it's a lot more fun to watch in the World Championships or the World Juniors because they're actually televised in some form. I don't know if these are going to be televised for the women's world. I'll have to keep my eyes on that because right now I I had to get a Fubo TV subscription for this because I had used up all my free my free seven day trials for all my emails and I guess they caught on because my credit card was getting voided. I think I couldn't submit my credit card for my free trial 
so they caught up to me because I was watching. That's what I did for the World Championships because half of them on ESPN Plus, the other half and the finals will probably be on NHL Network on Fubo TV. By that I mean TSN broadcasts it and ESPN Plus and NHL Network takes it because God forbid NHL Network did their own thing. But that's neither here nor there. But with that, that is it for this week's episode of the Cool Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Always thank you once again to Louis Pinone and Zach Martin for stopping by and talking some puck. And of course, for all of you for listening to me yammer on about women's hockey, which should always be talked about because I enjoy it. I enjoy it because you all will as well. You just got to watch it. It's fun to watch. It's good hockey, guys. And it's also fun to watch hockey in August. Then we have hockey in September and then October and then the season officially gets underway in the National Hockey League. It's a good time to be alive, kids. Make sure you follow us at The Kula Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hashtag TKS. We will see you all next time, ladies and gentlemen, on The Kula Show. Goodbye.